Hi, my name well, is Lisa. Lisa? Go ahead. I'm using my cell phone for this, so I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Hi, my name is Bridget Richardson, and I'm the Assistant Director of Ecumenical and Pastoral Initiatives at the Nesty Center for Faith and Culture at University of St. Thomas in Houston. And I'm here with Cynthia Colbert, President and CEO of Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. So Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I always look forward to opportunities to talk about the Ministry of Catholic Charities and especially our strong connection to the University of St. Thomas has been great over the years I've been here. So really pleased and honored to be with you today. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, you've been doing so much <laughs> during the pandemic, you and your team. It's been really incredible. So can you share a little bit about what COVID-19 has looked at, looked like from your perspective? Sure. Well, we all got the stay-at-home order, and I think about a week before that, or two weeks, we'd made some adjustments in our work setting, uh, trying to limit uh, the number of people in the buildings and different things. But, you know, we've all had to adjust over time as the CDC and public health came out with more and more information about what to do and how to do it. So in terms of operation, you know, we're a, we're a ministry that is open seven days a week, some five days, but we have two shelters that are seven day, uh, 24 hour shelters. So we really had to think about how do we protect our staff and our clients, and then also respond to this now, this looming and growing community need. So number one, we asked ourselves, how do we continue serving? Because it doesn't mean that the need for immigration legal services has stopped or the need for counseling services have stopped. Uh, we serve refugees, trafficking victims. We help people stay in homes uh, in their apartments through permanent supportive housing. None of that stopped. And so we switched to a virtual and remote work uh, style. So all of our services have been open, but the staff have been working remotely. That said, we knew that food was one of those things that uh, we would see an increased need for, and, and indeed that has proven true. We operate three big pantries. Uh, one is in Mamie George Community Center in Richmond, Texas. One's right here in Houston at the Guadalupe Center on Jensen. And then our third is in um, Galveston. It's called our uh, uh, Beacon of Hope. And it's a, in a community center right there in Galveston. And that is the only one that serves citywide. So it's a really important um, food pantry. We stopped seeing people one-to-one, -one. people used to be able to come in and sort of shop for groceries through what we call client choice. Instead, what we've moved to is drive-throughs like you've seen on the television. Uh, so like the, yesterday, I think we served 400 cars at, our, uh, at the Jensen site. So uh, what we do is we stock two days a week and put the food packages together, and then we do drive-throughs at all three sites. Uh, and then um, people pick up food and, and go on their way. Uh, we tried to make it very low uh, barrier. And I'll tell you, the volunteer community has been great. They'll come out and, and uh, put on the masks and the gloves and, and help us not only put all the food together, because it arrives in pallets from the Houston Food Bank. And then we order some supplemental foods like rice and beans, um, certain kinds of things. So we take all that, we put it into a, like a, a household uh, amount and then we distribute it on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays at all three sites. So we need volunteers for uh, putting the packets together and then for uh, putting it in the, um, the trunks of the cars as they drive through. So it, it's very well organized. I will say the need has not dropped off at all. I don't expect it to. Uh, second thing we did was set up a, a, a sort of a hotline to take calls. We have some of our staff redirected 
to answer those calls. And people are calling in for everything from uh, the need for mental health services, but the top three needs really are rent assistance, food assistance, and another basic need. Sometimes they need funding for, um, oh, helping to buy medications, that sort of thing. So we have helped over 250 families already with basic needs and rent assistance and plan to do more. Uh, thankfully, the amount that we've received from donors has helped us do this. Um, so that's that. And we're, we're taking calls from all over the archdiocese right now. Um, so that's what we're doing, emergency assistance and then food. Uh, we also set up a mental health hotline for anybody that just needed short term. I want to talk to someone and then our counselors. And we're not We've also waived fees for that, uh, any of our counseling services uh, right now. So that's free of charge to the community. Uh, so we're still checking in with all of our clients on a daily basis from all of our programs. We even switched to holding um, parenting classes and other things uh, using Zoom, like we are today. This is a meeting, uh, but we're actually doing some classes and things online now with our, our clients. So we've really shifted our model for now. We want to all come back together because we, after all, we are a human services agency. And so we're kind of a high touch agency. And I don't mean that like shaking hands anymore. It'll be elbow to elbow and sitting six feet away. But uh, they're, the uniqueness about um, human services is that it's people to people. And uh, we want to get back to that as soon as we can. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. Sorry, I talk very fast, don't I? No, it's good. It's good because, like you said, the needs don't stop. They keep going and people still have those basic needs and the hotline that you're running helps that immediate need as well. And I'm so interested in, are the needs different in Galveston versus Houston or have you seen it's pretty much the same? I think it's the same. I mean, the need for food, uh, even with all the you know, the Houston ISD sites and other places that are distributing food, uh, we definitely see a need for ourselves. And for example, St. Vincent de Paul, that also runs food pantries. So the Catholic ministries are really stepping up to the plate to help out with food distribution. Uh, I don't see that ending anytime soon because, you know, I think we're at a record number for unemployment claims at this point. And uh, the economy is going to be coming back. But, you know, we have an, an additional challenge in addition to covid which is the oil and gas crisis. So uh, layoffs and furloughing and you know, downsizing perhaps is, uh, we're gonna see more of that. Um, of course, our prayers are with a rebound uh, for the Houston economy, uh, but we are prepared to do this for a while, uh, as long as we're needed. We do emergency assistance anyway. This is just, this is like emergency assist on, on steroids, sort of, you know, we're, uh, we're take, I think we've had, so the day we, opened up our COVID hotline was March 18th or March 19th. We've served over 7,000 callers. I wish I had rent assistance for everybody who called. I don't, uh, but we do know where to refer people. And I do want to say if anybody who's listening, um, the city has just opened up in the city of Houston proper, $23 million for rent assistance. They're administering that through Baker Ripley. Uh, there'll be people who don't qualify who, or who don't access that. Uh, so for right now though, I mean, that's, we, we want to make sure that those funds go to everybody in Houston that qualifies for them. So we'll be referring people over to that, uh, that resource for a little while. Yeah. And you mentioned the humanness of your ministry, the it's the human interaction. How are you and your staff bridging that gap when it is in a virtual reality world? That sure. you're well, you know, they've stayed high touch in terms of phone, phone conversations with clients. Uh, we have, they're much better at using zoom than I am. <laughs> 
there are connecting via Zoom, and uh, we have uh, deployed technology to do telehealth uh, technology for counseling services because we've got to maintain HIPAA compliance and you know, make sure we're make sure we're maintaining confidentiality for all of our programs. So we've been very mindful of that, and uh, I think we have a good good. Now that doesn't mean that people can work at home forever because we want to come back. In fact, we'll start a soft a phased in opening probably March uh, May 18th. So that's when we'll start. Mm -hmm. And for your clients, have they have they felt the shift in in that lack of human interaction, or are they happy to get so many phone calls and you know that hotline sure. and to get those mental health services? Right. I would say that uh, you know it's interesting. We just did a client survey just to say what are your needs, how can we help you, uh, what do you foresee your short term and long term and that survey's not done yet, and I'd love to share it with people once it is, because we, we like to use data to help inform our service delivery. So I'll be interested to see what the clients serve. I don't, I don't think we quite asked that question. I, I, if, it, you know, if they're like me, I mean, I, I, I have to be careful now, because I'm, I'm a hugger. Hey, how are you doing? Don't do that. <laughs> so I'm learning, uh, uh, keeping my distance and all of that, and, and we'll, which we'll do with clients as well. But um, I, I don't think there's anything in human services us and others uh, to replace uh, the human human interaction. God made us to be in community and to be in touch with people. And as great as technology is, because you can reach people now, other counties and, and other places, um, it, it certainly doesn't replace the, the one. Same thing going to mass, right? Uh, technology is great, been able to live stream mass, but there is something about being together for the Eucharist and at mass. So I would say that we're meant to be in community with people. So uh, while technology is a great tool and we'll continue to use it, I think it's probably changed probably human services for the future it, delivery. Uh, but that said, I think, I think there's something unique about our business. Like, you know, you can have a teledoctor, but don't you feel better when you go in the office and you've talked to them person to person, I do. Uh, so at any rate, I, I think the clients have adjusted, but I think when we open, they'll come back. Yeah. Yes. People want that, that face to face, mm -hmm. even to feel the essence of another being, right? Yeah. How are, and you know, there's, you convey empathy and compassion because we're, we're very empathetic and we're compassionate, but man, when you could see it in somebody's face or hear directly what they're experiencing, um, I, I think there's just a different level to service. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of touching on that, uh, I mentioned beforehand in, when we spoke, the No Poverty Conference happened in January. Is that right? Yes. And we do that on an annual basis. The U, And fortunately, we've been able to come to UST every time to do it. It is always a sold out event. Uh, but I, I think that uh, the Poverty Summit, you know, a, we've tried to inspire people with information. So it's not meant to be a movement, you know, or, or necessarily to start public policy conversations, but we bring thought leaders around the topics around poverty and then invite whoever's attending to sort of use that information, take it in and go home, and then we spur you to action. What, what are you gonna do differently? Even if it's just, I'm gonna write to my legislator, I'm gonna volunteer more, donate more, Whatever that action is, you know that we want it to be a personal one. Um, one thing we know about poverty, though, and and I think you're seeing it in the COVID uh, statistics, is that uh, there's a disproportionate number of people in poverty who are African American, uh, Hispanic, um, and and what we call ethnic minorities. Uh, it it 
the percentage of poverty in our communities is higher overall. Uh, and so when you read the numbers about, you know, disproportionate numbers of people in, in uh, affected by COVID, I guess I'm not surprised um, because perhaps for living conditions, you know, the closeness, the proximity, I mean, Hispanic families, sometimes we all get together and we're living in one big house, right? So I, I think people living together in close proximity, the lack of access to healthcare, um, and uh, other other things. Uh, so the numbers don't surprise me. It does raise questions, though. Is so if it correlates to poverty, what we're seeing um, in the COVID numbers, then then how should that and how does that reflect uh, cause us to act and do differently relative to perhaps public policies, working for equity and justice, uh, as well as uh, service delivery. So it, it, I think it's causing certainly it's causing me to think about how do how does Catholic Charities address this, not just from a service, but also a social justice uh, issue as well. Right, that seems to be something that's emerging and people are seeing more and more. And I think the correlation that you're talking about is key, especially for people who are trying to figure out how to not only, you know, encounter poverty, but help pull people who are in those communities out of it and also mm -hmm. <laughs> with the added level of the pandemic yeah. you know, it just makes it more and more apparent right right well you know what we experience in disaster response so catholic charities has been at the forefront of response uh, in terms of disaster recovery dollars and case management i mean from amelda uh, uh let's see the re harvey was the big one of course but pr pretty much every big storm catholic charities um has been active in disaster response. And what we know is that uh, in communities and in households where they were income constrained before, it just makes it harder to recover. You know, the uh, uh, living paycheck to paycheck is tough. Uh, when you don't have the paycheck, what happens? Uh, there's also added issues, which is the, um, the undocumented concerns and fears right now of accessing services and being out and about. And, uh, and so, you know, bringing them out to, to get services and get help without fear uh, of being deported or turned in or something. I mean, we're a safe place. Many, many of the agencies and churches are safe, but there is that added fear that they have. And so we don't want people to not be able to access our services because they're, perhaps they, have, they fear for their status. And how have you and your team helped people to quiet that fear and be there for them and say, you're welcome here, let us help you? Sure. Well, we've tried to make the COVID access a very low barrier. Um, at this time, you know, we're not seeing people face to face so they can drop off documents. We do. We're an accountable agency. So we do have documentation to document the need. Uh, we get the speak with the landlord, for example, about the rent, uh, the, the lease, get a copy of it. We get the ID from the and then a declaration of income so that we can make sure they qualify for our program. Uh, but we're not asking for an ITIN number, a social security number. Um, and we're gonna, we're, we tried to make it as low barrier as possible. Same thing for the food. You don't have to sign up and put your name in a database. We're just gonna, right? You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna tell us how many people in the household and then we're gonna make you eligible for our food program. So we've tried to, and we also operate the St. Francis Cabrini Immigration Legal Services. And we do what's called charlas. Those are information sessions on immigration. So if anybody, uh, here uh, in the, our community has a, um, it, you know, whether a resident, permanent resident with what we call a green card, somebody here is on a special visa, uh, or perhaps undocumented, if they want to know what, what are my rights, 
what does the law say? How do I, you know, protect myself um, in terms of extending my green card or everything else? We provide accurate and honest information about people's ability to adjust their status under the law. So under the rule of law. And, uh, and those sessions are free. And then if they become our clients, our fees are very low. So we make sure that through our immigration charters that we get out the right and the accurate information regarding access to benefits, um, you know, what, what they have to share, what they don't, and then certainly how to apply for and maintain a legalized status in, this, in the U.S. Now, and then we're honest. Listen, the current law is this, and if you don't qualify, we're just going to tell you the truth about it. Uh, because I'm so, fortunately, some people have been promised things that they are not eligible for. So we, we have quality legal services. We're honest about it. And uh, we tell people the truth. That's great. And just to kind of tie it all together, how do you see the work of you and your team as truly being the hands and feet of Jesus out there helping people in the most basic ways? Well, I, you know, I've, lately I've been reflecting on the parable of the Good Samaritan. A lot, in fact. And, I, and in fact, I asked the team today, I said, how, how are we showing up as Jesus to people that we serve? How are we showing up as the Good Samaritan? And that, when I think about the Good Samaritan stopping and helping that person on the road, many, many of us would be afraid to just help somebody on the street today. But I think about that example. Maybe it was a woman. Maybe it was a man who did it. But that person just stopped and met the need. It wasn't like this, okay, are you a citizen or not? Uh, let me show, you know, let, let me have your papers. Uh, let's get all the documentation. Um, he, he served. And then he, got, he did another thing. He made sure the person, but then he followed up to make sure that the individual was still okay. Well, that's our example. For Catholic ministries, that's our example. To serve as Christ would. And, to, and, and no matter what, whatever grant we get, and we, we're fortunate, um, thank God for every foundation and grant that we get and donation to help us in this work. We do this work not because of that funding. We do it to be the healing presence of Jesus Christ and bring his healing ministry. And as St. Francis said, sometimes we use words. Most of the time we don't. It's through our actions. And then we let God change us because of this work. And so we invite the Holy Spirit and God's guidance and his grace and his mercy into the presence of Catholic charities. And so who we see when we, right, when Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew, right, Lord, they asked, when did we see you hungry and naked and all of this? Well, if you serve the least of these, you serve me. Well, so we see Jesus in everybody that we serve. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. It's all mine. <laughs> I so appreciate it. Your time and and your uh, willingness to use Zoom. <laughs> oh, thank you for letting me. I'm practicing. I'm becoming better at it. I'm supposed to have a Zoom call next week. So, yes, this has given me confidence now. <laughs> Good, you got it. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well so we'll much. keep everyone in our prayers. You know, this is unlike other disasters. It's global. It's countrywide. It's statewide, uh, and everybody's affected. So it it's going to take all of us and some innovations to really help this turnaround. And we're just grateful to play our part. So God bless you. Oh, Thank yes, you. you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.